Football is officially back, and we've got you covered right here on the Ringer NFL feed. I'm Shiel Kapadia, and every Tuesday and Friday, Ben Solak and I will be bringing you Extra Point Taken. Nora Princiati here to tell you that Steven Ruiz and I will be coming to you every Monday and Thursday. Our Monday show will recap everything from Sunday's games. Thursday's show will encompass any news during the week with an eye towards the next slate of games. Subscribe to the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow the Ringer NFL on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter at Ringer NFL. It's the Ringer Gambling Show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets, and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler and visit rg-help.com. Welcome to the Rastadamas Show. It's yours truly, Raheem Palmer, a.k.a. the Rastadamas. Y'all know how it's going down. We got a special guest in the building. We got my main man, Michael Pena, in the building. How you feeling? Yeah, we are 30% through the NBA season right now. The Ringer staff, as well as you, you guys broke down the first quarter awards from MVP, Rookie of the Year, Most Improved, and more. We're going to do something a little different this week. I know the last three, four weeks or so, we've been breaking down NBA games for the slate, giving you guys picks. But I want to do some big picture stuff. So let's talk about these awards. So most valuable player. You you think the award belongs to Nikola Jokic. Tell us why and what's your, your thought process so far. Yeah, I mean, we're recording this a day after he had like a 7.5 rebound six assist game or something like that and a blowout win over the Dallas Mavericks but generally on par this season I just think he's been not as um, efficient as he's been in years past and not totally trouncing the competition with all the catch-all metrics that really upset people (laughs) over the past couple seasons (laughs) but still just absolutely phenomenal um near the league leaderboard in top of the league leaderboards in scoring and rebounding and assists, just a totally completely dominant offensive player. And his second best teammate, Jamal Murray has been out or missed about a month of action or a huge chunk of action. And Aaron Gordon has had an up and down season as well. And he's kind of carried them in a lot of ways. Um, And then when you just look at like, I'm a big, I weigh the word value in most valuable player. And the on-offs with Jokic are, as they've been since he was an MVP candidate, just astronomical. Um, Again, one of the best marks in the league in terms of how his team performs when he's off the court versus how they fall apart when he uh, hits the bench. And so for me, just, you know, I'm not even applying what happened last season. I think a lot of people who did not vote for him are um, maybe retroactively... Uh, not regretting their decision to vote for Joel Embiid, but 
when a guy wins the title and wins final MVP, that kind of there's a there's a little bit of a carryover in some people's minds. Um, but yeah, for me, just he's he's it. There's a lot of other really great players, but for me, he's he's the most valuable player so far this season. So I, I'm glad you brought that up because you're a voter, and it's rare that we kind of get you know we're we're better. We're trying to extract the most value, and we're trying to figure out what's in your head, what's in Zach Lowe's head, what's in Bill Simmons' head when you guys vote for these awards. And you look at the stretch that Joel Embiid is having right now. This guy is, you know, 40 and 14 last night. He's averaging 34 points, almost 12 rebounds, six assists, two blocks. And he's doing it in a year where James Harden left. Left him high and dry. And, you know, Tyrese Maxey has taken that leap. But how much are you looking at the fact that Joel Embiid flamed out of the postseason? I mean, this guy, you know, he would he had 15 points in Game Seven with four turnovers. Is that a thing that you're measuring when you when you look at this award? Because right now, you look at Basketball References MVP model, they give him a 50 percent chance of winning, and he's plus 330 at the sports books to win the award behind Nikola Jokic. Is that a thing for you? I do not hold postseason play um, against Joel, who's never gotten out of the second round and tends to just play, have to either not play because of injury or play through pain in a way that clearly hampers him as it did against the Celtics last year, where he was a shell of himself on the defensive end and couldn't really move in that game seven. Um, but I mean, look, it's like kind of a, it doesn't, I don't think that Jokic is miles ahead of Embiid. As you said, basketball reference has the MVP tracker at 50%. And Embiid's numbers are absurd this season. This is the best he's ever played in a lot of areas, um, including just embracing Nick Nurse's offense and facilitating from the top of the key. And they're way less predictable than they were last year where it was just high pick and roll after high pick and roll with James Harden. And a lot of teams can't handle that. But when you know it's coming, particularly in the fourth quarter, sometimes things get a little bogged down. So I think they're really hard to guard. I think you made a really good point about Harden leaving, led the league in assists last season. He, I don't know if you saw what he did last night against the Pacers, but it was like the most impressive quarter I've, ever seen from James Harden. So st- clearly he's still a very good basketball player. So to lose that and have him be kind of emboldened some of his teammates, Tobias Harris, Nick Batum's been terrific since he joined the Sixers and Maxi, who's going to make his first all-star team unless something terrible happens. Uh, so yeah, Embiid is, is awesome. Um, I think some of his numbers are inflated slightly by their, their schedule. They have one of the easiest schedules in the league so far this season. But you can't really take too much away from him. He's been terrific. And if you were to vote him right now or think he's the MVP, I wouldn't have any issue with that. You know, people, I, I'm from Philadelphia. I love the Sixers. People always get mad at me when I say this, but I compare Joel Embiid to Mike Tyson. <laughs> and I say that as a guy who, you look at Mike Tyson, we all love him, but he crushes inferior competition. But when he steps up and, and faces, you know, Lennox Lewis or Holyfield, and in this case for Embiid, the Celtics, he struggles. Mm-hmm. So that's something I hold against him. Now I want to talk to you about this other candidate because I think this guy has the most value on the board right now. If I were betting MVP right now as of December 19th, I would take Shag Alexander at seven to one. 
What's your thoughts on him right now? You look at this Oklahoma City Thunder team. They are second in the West. And you look historically, MVP winners, they tend to be from a top one to three seed. And you look historically, you have to win a lot of games. I mean, I know there's been some outliers in recent years. Nikola Jokic won as a three and a six seed. Joel Embiid won as a, a third seed. Russell Westbrook won as a six seed. You go back to 1988, Michael Jordan won as a, a, as a six seed as well, but he averaged like 35, 38. So you look at Oklahoma City Thunder, they're just second in the in the West, 17 and eight. How are you feeling about SGA? Because I think that's that's the buy you pick right now. Oh, it's like he could definitely win easily. I mean, you look at what he's put together, you look at the resume for this season. Uh, statistically, check. Uh, on-off metrics. I was talking about value with Jokic. I think Shea is even better right now. So <laughs> check. Um, team success. They are awesome. Um, and a total juggernaut when he is on the court. Um, check. And so if they finish, like you said, if they finish top three in the Western Conference, which is definitely possible, um, I think he and he's averaging 30 points a game and he's getting it done on defense too. He leads the league in steals by a significant margin. Not that that's everything, but he's a very good defender for someone who has so much offensive responsibility. Um, uh, and then the last thing I would just say about him in his case, similar to why I've uh, been enamored with Jokic for so long, he's doing all of this with no other, there will not be another all-star on the Oklahoma City Thunder this season. Like Jalen Williams is their second leading scorer. These are really good players, complimentary pieces, young, um, young talents. Chet Holmgren, really great player uh, for where he is in his career. Um, but none of them are going to make the all-star team this season, I don't think. And for Shea to just be the head of the snake of this team that is blowing the doors off of a lot of teams, um, yeah, he's he's got a great case, and those odds are terrific. And it'll just be interesting to see if, I guess, voters on the whole are paying attention to the degree that they should because, obviously, Shea doesn't play on national television as much as some of the other candidates will. Um, his team is in a very small market, et cetera, et cetera. But just I, I think that he should be on the level with Embiid and, um, and Jokic, and there's a couple other names I could list. But he's, he's right up there. So I gotta ask you about I gotta ask you about Luca because he's been pretty much the popular pick to win the last couple of years. And we know this Maverick team isn't very good. They are fifth in the Western Conference. How do you see his candidacy candidacy right now? He is I mean, look, when I watch Luca play, he makes two or three passes a game that are so incredible that his teammates screw up. The play inevitably because they just either weren't expecting the ball or had no idea that any like the flight path of the ball could even happen based on gravity and physics. And so he is um he's amazing. And his step back three going left might be the it's his signature shot. It might be the most unstoppable shot in the entire sport right now. I have I'd have to think about that one, but just there's no stopping it. Um and so, statistically, uh, you look at the roster, the supporting cast, Kyrie Irving's been hurt. 
Um, I think Luca's actually played much better defense this season as well than he has in years past, and that is key based on how his roster is constructed. Um, they just aren't very big. They aren't very good on that end. Um, I, you know, I think that this team is not very good, and so that will always be held against him. I think that the Dallas Mavericks could slide at some point this season down to, you know, the play-in or something like that. Like the West is very competitive. Um, and in which case that happens just because of how, um, like how many candidates there are. I think that that could be held against him in a way that kind of excludes any serious, um, ability for him to win. But statistically he is just absolutely ridiculous. I think he's second in scoring right now. Um, he's up there in assists. He ha- he carries such a, a, a an immense offensive load in terms of just his pick and roll count and how often the ball is in his hands. So he's he's a candidate for sure. And uh, ESPN's Tim Bontemps does a straw poll. Um, he does four of them, I believe, every year to kind of mark where we're at with voters throughout the regular season. And he just sent out his first one to voters. And Luca was on my ballot, I think, fourth or fifth. So he's for sure in the conversation. But I just think some of the names we've already mentioned are are a tier above him. So the the biggest question I have for you is how much do you hold winning for or against a player? Like, you know, I, I've mentioned those outliers earlier. Have you voted for any of those outliers? Were you um, or is just for you is like winning one of the most important things or is just a different case by case every year? Yeah, I think it's context-driven for sure, case by case. Um, The year that Jokic won when his team was like a fifth or sixth seed, um, I thought he deserved it because he did not have Jamal Murray for the entire season. And for them to even be a sixth seed or a fifth, whatever they were, they won 40-something games, was honestly miraculous if you looked at that roster and you looked at Mm. what happened when he was not on the court versus how great they were still with uh, Monte Morris and this was before like KCP was on, like it was just a, uh, Will Barton was like, they're like <laughs> a real high in usage. That's it. so like, I, I think it really is. It, it's context driven for me. And um, that matters. Winning sh- for sure matters. Like um, I, you're not, I'm not going to vote for someone who's on a team that doesn't make the playoffs or anything like that. I don't think that would be, mm. um, I mean, the point of the, the game is to win, so it for sure is a factor and an important one. But um, I'm not going to hold it against a guy if they're winning 45 or whatever, however many games Jokic won that year. Um, mm-hmm. If the on-offs are what they are, and if his personal individual production is just so immense that it's really hard to overlook. That's good to know. You know, I I always get mad about this because the year Russell Westbrook won. I had James Harden about 17 to 1 to win the award. And <laughs> at the All-Star break, James Harden was a 2 to 1 favorite. And I will never forgive anybody who voted for Russell Westbrook that year because <laughs> he won a triple-double. And he was like the 6th or the 7th seat. And I'm like, are y'all kidding me? And I had an MVP model at the time. And it was the first year I developed it. And I'm like, I got him. And it was just like... <laughs> Y'all picked the extreme outlier, and I was so pissed. <laughs> but that, let's move along. To, yeah, you know, that that should have been. Yeah, I we could have a whole conversation about that MVP. <laughs> that should have either been Kawhi or Harden. Like I, I don't know what people were thinking when they voted for Westbrook. I'm glad you're on the same page as me. But let's move along to Rookie of the Year. So you actually like Wim, 
Wimp, Wimba Yama. And, and that surprised me because I, I know a lot of people like Wimba coming into the year, but the way Chet has been playing, it seems like he's he's changed how people felt. And right now in FanDuel Sportsbook, Chet is a minus 130 favorite. So tell us why you like Wimba. So, <laughs> yeah, this was pretty controversial. Um, <laughs> like, look, um, anyone who thinks that Chet is the rookie of the year so far... I'm not going to argue with you. He's been amazing, hyper-efficient. He's like top 10 in estimated plus-minus, which is a metric that rookies do not typically place high in. And his team is, we talked about it with with Che Gilles-Alexander's MVP. Like, they're very, very good. And he's a huge reason why. He gets it done on both ends. He's had some highlight finishes this season. He hit that game winner over the um, over Andrew Wiggins in the Bay, like just an incredible shot. Um, so shout out to him. He's having a great year. Um, I went with Wembenyana and this is again, like context driven and like Chet Holmgren is in an absolutely ideal situation for him with the pieces that Oklahoma city has around him. He has the MVP candidate point guard. He has three point shooting. He has, um, unbelievable, uh, defenders on the perimeter, Lou Dort, Jalen Williams. Um, Kaysen Wallace is another rookie who's been great for them in his role, Isaiah Joe, et cetera, up and down the line. Like, really stacked team. Um, Victor Wembanyama has, like, nothing. And his team is, you know, I don't want to say they're intentionally losing games, but they're not really going out of their way to win games. They don't play a point guard, <laughs> which is just, like, <laughs> really comical at this point in the season. And Wembenyama for um, uh, for the first couple months was playing the four for most of his minutes. And um, they had Zach Collins at the five. And recently, they've switched it up and Victor Wembenyama has finally started at the five. Granted, they still aren't playing Trey Jones with him. But when you look at him at the five, like even at the four, let's just say, like he's been inefficient for sure. And they don't run any stuff for him and yada, yada, yada. But his numbers are still like kind of amazing for a 19-year-old, like unprecedented stuff. Where, And when you put him at the five and he actually has spacing, and he actually has a little bit of playmaking juice around him. They're actually like a pretty, I know their record is terrible. They're actually like a pretty competitive team where, um, you know, their offense is right around where uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves are this season. Their defense is like top five. He is, I think he leads the league in blocks or he's up near the league lead in blocks. And he's such an amazing deterrent around the basket. So I just think he's kind of overcoming um, the circumstances that his team has put him in in a way that is so much more impressive to me than Chet Holmgren sliding into this situation and like knocking down open threes and driving hard closeouts. And, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Chet, but I, I just think that Victor Wembanyama's first the quarter of this season has been really impressive, and I do think that if he continues to play the five, which it seems he will, he'll win this award. I, I would be shocked. I like that you brought that up because it's it's a really interesting case because I mean we already mentioned SGA as MVP candidate, mm-hmm. and the fact that they're not playing Trey Jones with Victor as much as possible, it it really hurts. Because mm-hmm. you look at the 399 minutes with Victor on the floor, they have a net rating of minus 20. You put them on the floor together, and they have a net rating of plus almost plus seven. So 
he really is overcoming like the deficiencies of that roster. Mm-hmm. So while Chet's stats are, you know, marginally better, like I, I think you make a great point. So both of these guys are neck and neck. It's going to be interesting to see how things play out. You know, a lot of people felt that, you know, you have a 65 game limit right now. Well, minimum for mm-hmm. guys to win awards. And a lot of people thought that Victor wouldn't need it, but it, it feels like he's, he's on pace to meet it. So, this is going to be a 50-50 race all the way through. We got a couple other awards. Defensive player of the year. Is, is Rudy Gobert just going to lock this thing up? Because you look at the Minnesota Timberwolves, they're first in defensive rating, and they're first in the West. Like, does anybody else have a chance? So I wrote in our piece, I wrote that uh, uh, I had Anthony Davis in this slot. Um, and I regret that. <laughs> um, Rudy, yeah. I think, it just came out yesterday. So when did, when did y'all start writing this? Like, I want to say like a week and a half ago, maybe. Okay, so this was this was like... Um, it was like... Movie right. where he was, <laughs> I immediately... Like when he jumped into the, the, the Bears, I was like, I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, this was like, you know, I'm watching the play-in. I'm, uh, the, the, not the play-in, the... Uh, the uh, in-season tournament, I'm getting like really hyped. Anthony Davis is controlling the paint, etc. Um, no, like Rudy has been just. I watched the the their win against the Heat last night, and oh my god, like he just walled off the paint. They couldn't do anything. Jaime Hawkins Jr., who's um like one of the better rookies I've seen in recent times, was just obliterated every time he tried to take it into. Um, Rudy's den. Uh, Bam at a bio had to hit some truly in, insane jump shots, um, like tough turnarounds. And, uh, you know, I just thought Rudy's presence and um, his impact is obvious with the numbers, but just when you watch it, it is, it's game changing. It is, um, you know, he's a defensive player of the year. And I know he's a, he's a skill wise, a minus on offense. Um, but like, there's going to be someone who's makes the case at some point for him to win MVP this year. I, I, I don't necessarily agree <laughs> with that, but people will do it because he's that good on the defensive end and they are winning because in large part because of him. So he'll be an all-star this year. He absolutely should be. And it would be, it'll take, I think an injury, honestly, for him to, um, not win because, I don't see any change happening here um, with regards to how successful they are on the defensive end. They're for real. I think they're a contender, and they're a contender because Rudy Gobert is, once again, the most dominant inside presence in the NBA. So we know Rudy is the front runner, and you got Rudy. He's minus 115 on FanDuel Sportsbook right now. Anthony Davis is plus 430. I mean, Gobert's won three out of the last five defensive player of the years. And we know big men tend to win this thing, like, at large. I think you look mm-hmm. at 29 of the last 34 were big men, like 85%. Is there any long shot that you could see winning if Gobert were to go down or Anthony Davis were to go down? Is there anybody who you're looking at defensively and you're like, what? I could see them winning this award. It's a really good question. Um, you know, if we're talking guys who aren't, uh, 
aren't big men. Like, mm-hmm. I think pound for pound, the best defender in the league is probably Herbert Jones in the New Orleans Pelicans. He is, it's really hard to even kind of gauge all that he does statistically. But when you watch the Pelicans play, he guards everybody. He doesn't foul. He contests everything. He makes the most brilliant hustle plays you'll ever see. He walls up. Like, he, we were just talking about Wimbin Yama. He had this one play in a recent blowout win for the Pelicans where he's guarding Wimbin Yama in the post. Just hands up. He's so long. He actually bothered Wembenyama, who couldn't budge and budge him an inch. So, I just think like um, how solid he is, how many turnovers he creates, and how many winning plays he generally makes in the on the defensive end. He's great. And then I just also want to shout out really quick. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he'll win, but Jalen Suggs in Orlando is Ooh, an, an absolute. He's been a monster. He's an absolute menace. He is. So terrific on that end. And the fact that Orlando has made this leap into being a respectable defense. I think they're they're top five still, I believe, in defensive rating. And a huge part of that is Jalen Suggs, who like like he, he there's so many like uh football cross sport comparisons people make because he was uh, Mr. Football in high school mm-hmm. um in Minnesota. But like he is a shutdown corner. You put him on somebody, I don't care who it is in the whole league. That person's not isolating on Jalen Suggs. Yeah. That is checked off the the board of an option on the play sheet. <laughs> like it's just so he is he is terrific. He's super physical. The only thing with him is can he stay healthy? And so far he's managed to um, stay active and on two feet more often than not. So he's he's up there for me too with with Herbert Jones. I think are some of the better perimeter defenders in the NBA right now. Yeah, so it's so sad because Jalen Suggs, he just fractured his thumb the other day. So, like, he's going to be out for a while. And, you know, FanDuel has him at 10,001 to win the award. Herbert Jones is 3,000. So, we, it, it looks like it's going to be one of the big men. So, let's move along to most improved player. You have another controversial decision. And I don't know if it's that controversial, but when you look at the history of the most improved player award, Typically, it goes to the guy who makes their first All-Star game. And you look at the last 10 or so winners of this war. Laurie Marketing, John Morant, Julius Randle, Brandon Ingram, Pascal Siaka, Victor Oladipo, Giannis Antetokounmpo, CJ McCollum, Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, Paul George. Pretty much all of those except for CJ McCollum and I think maybe Goran Dragic made their first All-Star game. So... I'm surprised that you pick Halliburton, being that he made his all-star game last year. But he is making a tremendous leap. So tell us why you like him over Tyrese Maxey, because it feels like Maxey was the shoe-in with Harden leaving. Yeah, I think that Maxey could definitely win this award. And it was kind of a coin flip between those two for me when I was doing my my write-up. But I just think that, like, the leap from just under all-star to all-star happens all the time. And you just listed a whole bunch of players that it happened to. It's a natural evolution for really talented prospects. Um, the leap from all-star to, uh, we didn't mention his name in the MVP race, but he is an MVP candidate, in my opinion, um, mm-hmm. is way rarer and way harder to do. And 
Tyrese Halliburton is the engine for the greatest offense in NBA history. And I'm not just saying that because they have the highest offensive rating. I'm saying that because they have one of the highest offensive ratings relative to league average in the season that they're competing in. So he is like the Indiana Pacers are so scary. Um, and in large part because he um, is the reason they play so fast. He's the reason they play so selflessly. He leads the league in assists by a wide margin. Um, and I know he had a down night offensively scoring the ball against the Clippers in a game that they got blown out in. Um, and defensively, he hasn't really, I don't know if he's worse or he's the same, but he's not a very good defensive player. But like, I was just looking at it like, okay. Um, this guy really reminds me of Steve Nash. Steve Nash won the MVP two times. And then you compare their statistical seasons and it's like, oh my God, Tyrese Halliburton's season is way better than anything Steve Nash ever did. So a lot of that is the era they played in, et cetera. But it, it's just a special season that he's having, I think. And there's no one you can point to that really sums up why the Pacers are as competitive as they've been this year than him. So I think he's made strides scoring the ball. He's a better pass. He's just better than he was, I guess, in, in a way that um, really stood out to me. Uh, so that's why I went with Halliburton. So that's interesting because, I mean, right now, you look at Tyrese Halliburton, he's 12-1 to no win this award. And I guess the question I have for you is because there's going to be some people who say, this Pacers team plays at the fastest pace in the league. By far faster than any other team. They're first in offensive length of possession. Do you think, and I, I hate to say this because I love Halliburton. I think he's he's reached that MVP level. But do you think his numbers are inflated? And because people will say, oh, he's playing at this faster pace. So you look at Pacers games, the totals are 240, 250. They're almost playing a totally different sport. So does winning matter here? Because you look at this Philadelphia 76ers team, Sixers are third in the Eastern Conference and the Pacers are eighth. And we know they don't have a defense, but they're just playing at such a fast pace that obviously your your numbers are going to be better. Uh, that's a part of it. But like their, they, their pace is like conducive to winning. So yeah. like they wouldn't be as good if they like, I think like sometimes, you know, faster pace inflates mm -hmm. statistics and it's a little gimmicky for sure. Um, yeah. You can look at some of those Wizards teams with Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook back in the day. Not back, it was like yeah. two years ago, whatever it was. But like <laughs> their statistics were not to be taken seriously because they would score and then they would immediately give up. I'm not saying Indiana has like a juggernaut defense, but they have a plus net rating, I believe, still even after... Um, they gave up 151 to the Clippers in four quarters last night. Um, so I think that like it's a special case just because that's their identity and they've been winning with it. And I mean, they reached the, if you want to give value to the in-season tournament, they reached the finals, they beat the Celtics, they were really good, and they beat the Bucks. Um, so playing that style. So I think that it, it matters um, less here and... Honestly, like most improved player is really individual to me also. Um, so I'm not really that worried about wins and losses with it. Um, like, for example, um, I think Desmond Bain is a candidate.
for me for most improved player in a lot of the ways that he's expanded his game with John Morant being out. Um, Anthony Simons, I don't think he'll win. and He's only played like seven or eight games this year, but he's now their point guard. And you look at his assist totals, you look at his free throws, he's making this leap where even though Portland stinks, I think that that is actually meaningful. I don't think that that's empty. I think that's a player getting better in important areas. So winning isn't really that important to me. I know a lot of voters really care about it and they're not going to vote for someone who's on the Grizzlies or on the Trailblazers for this mm-hmm. award. But for me, it's it's less um, less critical. So Zach Levine's been out and Kobe White has been making an outstanding leap. I mean, he's been absolutely incredible. He's great. <laughs> how do you how do you see him right now? And is he a guy that you're you're targeting that you know maybe I'll I'll vote for? I mean, obviously, I'm, I imagine you have Halliburton and Maxi one and two, but I mean, if Kobe, I don't know what he's shooting on pull up threes in the last like two or three weeks, but if that sustains for this rest of the season, uh, then. <laughs> yeah, he could win this award. Who knows? I mean, like, he's been terrific. I don't know if you watched the game last night against the Sixers. He was dicing them up. He was... Um, oh, yeah, he, I definitely watched it. Yeah, he's <laughs> got he's got range, too. Like, he will, like, pull up from 28 feet with confidence. Um, So I really like what I've seen from him. I, I've also... I, I like the... I, I, don't, I don't think statistically overall you see this massive improvement from what he did, I think, in year two or year three of his career. Um, But in general, I just think the role and the responsibilities have shifted with him being the starting point guard. And I think that his passing and his playmaking have definitely improved. Um, And with Zach Levine out in particular, you're seeing seeing a lot of guys, honestly, um, play a little bit better. Patrick Williams is another guy in Chicago who... Uh, I know he wasn't hitting shots last night, but he's been way more aggressive and it's just his whole mentality has changed since Levine went out. So, yeah, I think if if these guys, Kobe White in particular, if they really keep it up and, you know, if a Zach Levine trade materializes where he can actually have the ball in his hands a lot more um, for the rest of the season and Chicago has a little bit of life, because I think people are, there's a real stigma in Chicago. I don't think anyone's voting for anybody in, in Chicago right now for anything. But, I think Kobe Way could for sure be a candidate for this award. Um, he's been awesome. Okay, so we got one more. We got six men of the year. And this one, this one's really exciting to me because obviously I love Austin Reed right now. And it feels like with him being a Laker, he's at the forefront. So tell us who you're liking. <laughs> I, I wrote about Isaiah Joe for this and I got a lot of flack on Twitter for it. Um I honestly just wanted to write about Isaiah Joe because I love him so much. Like I, I know he's not going to win. Oh, so you threw the you threw the smoke screen at it. <laughs> like you didn't give us the you didn't get. And I love Isaiah Joe, and I think this was probably as a Sixers fan, as a guy from Philadelphia, this was probably the worst mistake of Maury's entire Philly era. And I'm not. I, I don't want to put it on Maury because it feels like Doc wasn't playing the younger guy. Yeah. This guy can shoot lights out, but there's no way he's winning this award. There's no way. Um, if there was a seventh man of the year, uh, I like we, we'd have a chance. Um, but no, he's not going to win. Um, you know, Austin Reeves for sure um, is one of the better scoring playmakers off the bench. You got to like a lot of his offensive game, particularly how um, stoic he is and how he gets to the free throw line and draws. He draws. 
He drew a three-point foul last night late in the game that almost allowed the Lakers to come back. He's just really good at at drawing fouls, getting contact, finishing through contact. Um, defensively, he's kind of a train wreck, but that's really never stopped a lot of guys from winning this award who wanted him to pass. Um, so he's for sure up there, and you hit it on the head with him being um, a member of the Los Angeles Lakers. That does not hurt your case. He's, a lot of people are going to be watching a lot of his minutes uh, this season. So he's up there. Um, I don't know what the odds are for the player I'm about to name, Nas Reed, but if the Minnesota Timberwolves continue to um, be as impressive as they've been and he continues, Nas Reed continues to play as well as he is off the bench, I think you have to give him some love. He's been he's been awesome on both ends mm-hmm. and he's so exciting to watch. I love Nas Reed. So that's a can I don't know if that's like a serious candidate. I think you could see him mm-hmm. climb maybe. Um, when people start looking at that team more closely and seeing why they've been so successful, Nasrid is a big part of that and his ability to coexist with Carl Towns and with Rudy, Rudy Gobert at the same time. Um, and then Bogdan Bogdanovich in Atlanta has just statistically been really good. He's been super efficient. He's overqualified, in my opinion, for his role. But Atlanta is just built how they're built and he has to come off the bench. But he's been um, he's been really good in a weird situation with the Hawks. So those are just some other guys off the bench that I think people should keep an eye on. So Nas Reed is 50 to 1. Bogdanovich is 8, like 8.5 to 1. The name that, you know, the names that stand out to me are Cole Anthony, Malik Monk, and Emmanuel Quickly. Now, Quickly is just, he's not playing enough minutes. He was second in six-man-of-the-year voting last year. Mm-hmm. That's a guy that I would like to take at 11-1, but he's just not playing enough. And I look at a guy like Cole Anthony. To me, he's a big part of what makes the Magic special. Agree. Other than that defense. So I think the best value on the board is probably Cole Anthony at 7-1. Malik Monk at 8-1 looks good. But right now, with the way Austin Reeves is playing, like he's probably their third best player. So I can't really suggest anybody take anybody other than him because... If the Lakers are successful, it's him. So I would probably take Austin Reeves and Cole Anthony if I had to take anything, but that's where I stand on this. So um, before we get out of here, tell the people where they can check out your work because, I mean, you gave us a lot of good information. It's rare that we get to speak to an actual voter who just give us game like this. So tell them where they can check you out. Yeah, uh, theringer.com. I write a whole bunch of stuff that gets published there. Uh, wonderful website full of really smart people uh, like yourself. <laughs> so I try to be. I try to, I try to, I, I haven't had the best NBA season betting wise, but I, I try to give people a little bit of game here and there. Uh, NFL is starting to pick up. Like we had a good weekend. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, just, you know, check out the ringer, go there. It's a great website. Um, yeah, man. And thank you so much for having me. This was, this was a blast to go through the awards here. Now, I really appreciate you doing this. I mean, you gave us a lot of game. Before we get out of here, I'm going to give out a couple of picks. We're going to go four-game NBA slate tonight. We go San Antonio Spurs, Milwaukee Bucks, over 249 at FanDuel right now. I mean, the Spurs team, they can't stop anybody. 17-8 last 25 games. Hit the over in four out of the last five games, so I like that. I also like Boston Celtics. A lot of people are going to, you know, play the Celtics here. I think it's a little bit. There's too many people on the Boston Celtics tonight. This line's going up from five to six. 
I'm actually going to play to over 233. Um, I, I took that this morning. Um, so th- those are games I like. John Morant is back tonight, and that's going to be interesting. I got a question for you. John Morant's coming back. The Grizzlies are 7-1 to one to pay- make the play-in tournament, 13-1 to one to make the postseason. They're eight games behind the, the Suns to make the play-in tournament for the number 10 seed. Do they have a chance of making it? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> I, you know, you look, you look at the teams that are above them. Um, I think the Warriors are above them. I'm not, I, I don't know, like, the Warriors are a total mess, so I'm not going to be like, yeah, they're definitely going to make the play-in. But I think more importantly, you just look at the teams that are already up there. I don't know who's falling back uh, short of some type of injury. And like, you know, I don't think John Moran is just going to step in and change everything that's wrong with the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, he'll certainly help if he's in shape. He's a all NBA guard for sure. And their offense has been terrible. But I just think that they're so thin up front still. And that has not been solved um, and really can't be solved um, in the short term. And they're also just bereft of three-point shooting on the wing and Marcus Smart's hurt, Luke Kennard's hurt. They've got a lot of issues, so I just, I, I don't I don't think he can he can drag them to the play-in, no. Oh, man. That's that's too bad for, for Grizzlies fans because I know they were probably just really excited to get John Morant back and it's just not going their way. So we got two NBA picks for tonight. We got the over in the Milwaukee Bucks game. We got the over in the Warriors game. I'm going to stay away from that Celtics game. The whole world is on it. So that's been our show for today. Michael Pena, thanks for coming on. I'm Raheem Palmer. A little longer show today. Hopefully my producers don't get too mad at me because <laughs> we normally try to keep it short. But we had to, you know, 30% of the season, we had to break this down for you guys. But this has been the Roster Diamond Show. Y'all know how it's going down. Check us out, Ringer Wise guys, on Sunday. Check us out, East Coast Bias. On Thursday, check out Warren Sharp, Jill House on Friday. Y'all know how it's going down. Watch the Donald Show. We are out.